Dave Fryer. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. I'm laughing because I'm having a really fun conversation with Melissa Boggs and Howard Sublet, both from the Scrum Alliance. Thank you for taking time out of your morning. Good morning, Dave. Only for you, Dave. And it's Only early you. where you guys are, right? Because you're in another it's, time zone. It's not bad. It's, it's nearly 10 a.m., which is not early for most humans, Dave. Early for me. <laughs> Um, so we did an interview, we did one this summer, but, but I talked to both of you at the beginning of, of you taking on this job last year. And I think Melissa, it's been about a year since we posted the interview that we did. And I wanted to, um, to check in and see how things are going. I have a whole bunch of questions along that line, but before we get into this, could you each explain the role that you play at the Scrum Alliance for the folks, just in case they're not totally up to speed on it? <laughs> Which shame on shame on you if you don't know who these people are, but just in case. Aw, let's not shame them, Dave. Oh, yes, I'm from Philly. Shame, shame <laughs> with love. There is no such thing as shame with love, Dave. <laughs> Hi everybody. I am Melissa Boggs. I am Chief Scrum Master at Scrum Alliance. And essentially what that means is I spend a lot of time with the folks who do the work inside Scrum Alliance, building a joyful, prosperous, sustainable workplace here so that we can be the shining beacon on the hill for joyful, prosperous, sustainable workplaces elsewhere. Wow. It's almost like she rehearsed that. <laughs> is that is that a thing, a phrase that you guys are using now, joyful, prosperous, and sustainable? It is. She used okay. it twice, so clearly we're using it. All right. What do you do, Howard? Well, it, it is. It's actually part of our mission statement, so it uh, seems pretty clear that we should use that. So I'm Howard Sublet. I'm the chief product owner for the Scrum Alliance. And uh, unlike Melissa, whose job is mostly internal focused here with our team here, mine is more external focused. So the traditional product owner role of, of what should we build and why. So mine is mostly external stakeholder engagements, partnerships, coalitions, kind of big picture directional of who we're going to be when we grow up is kind of the, the thing that's underneath my, my most of my job description. Okay, and you just mentioned the mission statement. So what is the mission statement? I think you're actually referring to our vision, which uh, is... Vision we, statement. We envision a world where work is joyful, prosperous, and sustainable. So this is a switch from changing the world of work. No, it's not. It's an extension. Okay. It's, it's, it's something that's been there a while, Dave. You just haven't been paying attention. Well, I am like that. <laughs> you guys. Yeah. How long ago did it change? So if you think about Nike, Nike has just do it. Right. But that's not really their mission and vision statement. That's kind of their tagline. Okay. So the tagline of the Scrum Alliance has been for a long time transforming the world of work because it's shorter, it's catchy, it's something to remember. But, you know, as part of our charter as an organization, as a nonprofit, you know, our, our charter really is to help the world um, adopt agile principles and values. And we believe by doing that, um, we will create that future world of work that is joyful, prosperous, and sustainable. So that's actually part of a mission and a um, um, mission and vision statement where transforming the world of work is kind of a catchy tagline. Okay. All comes together. Did you see how that happened? I wow. did. It was very smooth. White butter. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of things have you put into play in order to support this, this vision? I mean, over the last year, like I know there's a lot of new things that you've, you've worked on, but what are sort of the standout, like this is the thing that I'm super proud of. I want to tape it on the front of the refrigerator and show it to everybody. Well, first, uh, the way that we work 
inside Scrum Alliance is dramatically different. Uh, we reorganized now nine months ago, working on 10 months ago into, I feel like I've said this phrase a million times, but community-centric, self-organizing, cross-functional teams, which is shocking, I know, um, and we're using Scrum. And so I would say that's the, the first thing, um, at least on my side of the house, that I would tape on the refrigerator because historically Scrum Alliance was using Scrum in pockets, but it wasn't like a organization-wide way of working. It was something that some people were doing. I mean, just like any other company, right? Like some yeah. people were doing well, some people were not. Um, and now we're in a place where I feel like everyone who works here understands the value of Scrum and just has some empathy for how challenging it can be and then also how rewarding it can be. Okay. Can you, can you, before we go on to Howard, can you explain a little bit about that change? Because I want to make sure people are kind of tracking with how significant the change was to get to self-organizing cross-functional teams. Sure. So when a year ago, we're, we're pretty typical company. I mean, we had a marketing department and an IT department and an education department, you know, nothing wrong with any of that, but it was very um, siloed in a way. There were a lot of dependencies across departments, which was a very slow process to get anything done. I would also argue that there were, the focus was on very specific uh, there was a lot of focus on trainers and coaches, and there was a lot of focus on, you know, CSM. And yeah. if we're being really, really honest, like that's where the main focus was because, you know, that's that's a lot of kind of the bread and butter, or at least right. it was. And when we reteamed, as I like to say, um, we reteamed into community-centric teams that focus on a specific point in the agile journey. So we have a team that is really focused on, on CSM, CSPO, CSD, that's their product. Um, but what I have said to them is you're not a product team, you're a needs based community team. So if I am someone who is brand new in the agile world, what do I need as opposed to someone who maybe has been around for three years? They have a very different set of needs and our products might fit those needs, but other things like community building is going to help fill those needs as well. So we've shifted from just care. Not that we ever just cared about certifications. That was, right. always, that was always a myth, but we have expanded our ability to focus on needs of people in the world who are using um, these types of ways of working and said, like, what do they need? Like, do they need support? Do they need networking? Do they need friendship? <laughs> you yeah. know, do they just need encouragement? And so we have um, now seven different teams and they're focused on a specific segment. So our foundational team on kind of zero to two years, our practitioner team, three to five years, our guides team, which is our trainers and our coaches, who again have a different set of needs. Like their lifeblood is this work. And so, right. how do we support that? Uh, our leaders team is focused on 
basically like the decision makers. And if I'm going to completely help my company become more agile, what do I need? Do I need knowledge? Do I need support? Do I need encouragement? Do I need resources? Do I need to find other leaders like me? Um, So the leaders team is really focused on that. Our gatherings team, which is focused on what is the persona, you know, what is the attendee of a gathering need, Uh, which is a bit of a composite of the others, but you need something different at a gathering than you do at work every day. You have a different perspective there. Um, our team member team, which is focused on our our company and our internal needs, and then um, our WOW team, which I can actually let Howard talk about a little bit. Um, but their their persona is the world of work and, okay. and kind of our story. And so each one of those teams is comprised of education, IT, support, community. So people people got to... If I was in marketing, I got to go pick an area of interest and, and self-select into that team. Correct. Um, when, when we first did the reteaming, we did a three-day workshop where we actually took all of the work. And before we talked about who was going to be on what team, we just talked about, you know, with current projects and upcoming projects and, you know, current products where did they live, you know, who was the primary beneficiary of all of those kind of target uh, communities that I just mentioned. Okay. So we divided the work first and then we spent a good day and a half going, okay, well, here's the work. Where's your passion? How can you follow that passion? And then what's the chemistry of that team? And, um, you know, we did a little bit of kind of shaking that up too of like, yes, this is the work, but is this the right team for you? And so by the end of three days, we had a pretty decent um, start to our teams and they've shifted a tiny bit over the past 10 months. But um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty interesting. It was almost a, a self-organized approach to reorganization. Yeah. I, I mean, it, the thing that's so amazing to me is this is like one of those hand wavy things that the coaches talk about, like, oh, people will just find their bliss and chase it down. But you guys figured out a way for them to do that with some structure and in a way that supports your customers. Yeah, it was it was actually really fun to watch uh, because they had to find alignment for uh, the work that made them happy, the community, the customer persona that made them happy and uh, the balance on the team of the people that would be working with them that that made them happy and provided them joy. So, like like she said, we went through about three rounds of of them self organizing into those teams till they, everybody was comfortable with where that they were and and how that it kind of scratched their itch, if you will. Cool, that's awesome. And thank you for for explaining that. And Howard, what is your big moment? Your biggest achievement? You know, I, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say what Melissa has said um, because it's not. I think we do it a disservice to think about this as simply an internal move that doesn't have massive external repercussions. Okay. Um, because you know th- this is one of the biggest lifts that we've done as an organization. Uh, organizational change is not easy, and it's never done. Uh, we're we're still in the process of learning to work in this way. We don't have many models to look at over what does truly cross-departmental 
teams in a flat organization without management, without department heads, what does that look like? Especially in the type of an organization that we are. But for us to, for what I consider the first time in our history of our organization, to not just um, talk about it externally, but to live it internally, yeah. Actually, be internally what we're what we're proposing uh, uh, to the world on the external basis. I think maybe one of the biggest strategic moves that we can make is to live our values and be true to to what we teach. Okay. I'll brag on Howard since he won't brag on himself, Dave. <laughs> well, he okay. Go ahead. I'm I'm trying to tone down my sarcasm for this interview, but it's hard for me to talk to Howard without bringing that out. Go ahead. Um, and, and he's absolutely right. Like this is, this isn't a, this is a thing that Melissa did. And this is a thing that Howard did. Like there's a whole nother bunny trail there. I'm sure you'll take us down at some point, but like, it's, it's too easy to try to divide it up that way and to try to think about it that way. But, but we do all of this together. Yeah. Um, but I will say if I'm going to brag on Howard that, Howard came into this role already being a relationships guy, already having a stellar reputation in this community, already having put in the time with people so that they already knew before Scrum Alliance was doing what we were doing, that Howard is a guy who lives his values and his values reflect Scrum Alliance values. That being said, the door has been opened because of that to so many conversations that we would not have had the opportunity to have before with other organizations, with other individuals. And I think the combination of that and then, you know, our courage to kind of do what we know is right here is what's going to open kind of the the garage door, if you will, like the greater door um, going forward. And so I, I don't think it's any small thing that um, it's the combination of those things, us being brave internally, and then him just having lived this for so long that people trust that we're going to yeah. keep doing that. Um, there's no point in reorganizing your company unless it's in service to the vision. Well, I, I think that um, one of the things that, is so like to add on top of that, that's so amazing is you've kind of turned the scrum Alliance into a test kitchen for the rest of the planet. So instead of saying, you know, we saw this guy do this over here and this person did this over here, you're now doing it all to yourselves. So you can speak with obviously I, I think greater credibility and authority, but you're setting an example. I mean, and Howard, when we talked about it originally, you said there was a, a company, I think in Europe that had, taken a, a note from, from what you were doing and, and also the switched over to a chief product owner role. Yeah, we're, we're seeing that pattern and we, you know, this relationship with Melissa and I through this thing, we, we, we met each other um, living in public. So we met each other recording a podcast together. Our very first conversation with each other was recorded for the world. Um, and we are, we're living this journey transparently for the betterment of the world. And we do believe that we're making mistakes, right? And, um, but one of the things that the staff and the board and the rest of them are, have commented is and when we've, 
when we've made a mistake on something and when things don't work, it's like when we've fallen, it's really clear the direction that we're heading towards our mission and values in an attempt to that. And it's not a problem, right? That, that the mistakes that we're making are the new mistakes that somebody else hasn't made, but we've been kind of the, we've taken on a, a co-leadership role, the role of a product owner and a scrum master for an organization where it never had that. And we've taken on a rebranding and a reimagining of who we are and who we need to be in the world. And we've taken on a new organizational structure that we don't really have any patterns of in the world, but we believe that this is the future of the way teams and, and work should be done. And we're living it all publicly. Um, and I think you're right. I think we're seeing companies that are reaching out and saying, hey, that's bold that you all are trying that. We'd like to try one part of it. Um, uh, and and if, if we internally can't be in service uh, to our mission, I don't know why we're here. So it's, it's, in, it's important for us to do that. When I'm listening to the two of you talk now, it sounds a little bit different than the last time we talked. I mean, originally it was sort of like the extrovert, introvert, Howard's, you know, and even when you guys were on stage, it was like super obvious <laughs> that you each had sort of a different kind of role in that and that there was supposed to be this like yin yang balance, but you seem a lot more, I don't know, like more at ease, more even with that now. Than it, it, have you noticed a change in, in the way you're interacting in these roles or the way that you just are as people with one another? He does that, doesn't he? He's just like, Ooh, right there. Poke it. Go to the core of it. Why? Here's, it? here's that problem area. Poke it. <laughs> oh, what happened? Did I do that? It was that bad. No, 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 no. no, no. Oh, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's something that we're, I mean, neither one of us walked into this role doe-eyed thinking it's going to be perfect and it's going to be easy. Yeah. Co-leadership yeah. is, is difficult. Um, and even with the best of intentions and the best of people, it's still difficult. And especially in a, in a public facing, sometimes very politically charged environment, it's even more difficult. Um, leadership is hard. Sharing the role can be a consolation and it can be good, but it can also be problematic. And you're right, both of us are really different, but yet we're very much the same. And I think we're, we, we're, we kind of swing on that pendulum um, over how well we're doing as co-leaders or not. And there's, there's been days where we haven't done really a great job. Um, and we have, we have a coach that coaches us to try to help us as a team, be a better team as the entity of, of us and how we show up in the world. Uh, but you're right. I am the extrovert. And so if, if I, if I'm not as self-aware as I, as I can be, sometimes I can overstep everybody else in the room. So I have to take one step back sometimes. And, um, but you, know, you are always asking, you're always, I mean, my experiences with you is you're constantly checking to see if you've overstepped. Yeah. But I mean, you, you can still be a horrible person and say, by the way, did I offend you? And <laughs> you can still be a horrible person, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but we know that we're, we will never get this right, but the, but the journey of trying to get it right is worth it. Um, yeah. I don't think you have to get it right. You just have to be in love with the, the experience of trying to make it better every day. And we are. 
Yeah, 100%. I have to say though, Dave, I, it's funny that you see a difference already and I'll, I'll kind of own something that has changed with me personally, which is that I, I am more introverted than Howard, but I have never been shy. Like I sang in a metal band when I was 21 years old. Like I'm not afraid. I'm not shy. Um, but I do think that stepping into this with Howard and Howard's, Howard's person is bigger than life. And I don't think I had ever been in a place where I actually felt like I was the introvert. Like if you, you know, you put me next to someone and suddenly I'm like, Oh, like, yeah. You know? And so I think if I'm being real honest, it was a role that I was playing for a while. Okay. It was a a role that was comfortable because I'm still figuring out my feet here and he started before me. So he had a couple months, you know, head start. But it was real easy for me to be, oh, well, I'm the introverted one. I'm the quiet one. And it's like uh, a comfortable mask to put on. Yes, 100%. And I think it took a little while for me and some hard conversations between the two of us for me to actually own that and say, yes, I am definitely more introverted. Like I, he is definitely much more likely after a long day at the gathering to be looking for people to go out with and like have a cocktail (laughs) and continue to visit. (laughs) And I am looking for like the first escape to my hotel room by 10 o'clock. Like, you know, I need that time to recharge, but, um, but I'm not shy. And I, I really was living into that role a little bit out of um, a little bit of like not wanting to fight for spotlight. um, But also just, I don't know. It was probably easier at first, Yeah. Um, but I'm proud of what we've done here. I'm proud of our people. And if I'm proud of them, like I can't be quiet. That's very cool. I mean, it's just, I, I can hear Melissa in your voice. There's a different tone in your voice than there was last summer. And, and it's cool. It's, it's neat to hear it. Not that it was bad before, but there's, I don't know, there's something else to it now. Um, so I have a question about the kind of the journey that you've been on. One of these, these things that I'm working with kind of as a theory in my head is that everything I do is my teacher. So every time I teach a class, the students are my teachers, the class itself is a teacher. Um, and there's always these lessons that are being offered to me if I'm open to them. And I'm wondering what this organizational change has taught you over the last year. Like what is the greatest lesson that you've learned over the last year? Each of you. Can I only pick one? You um, could, if you could pick as many as you want, but I was looking for like the really big, like the, oh crap, why didn't I see that before? Kind of a thing. Um, so I've, I've always considered myself a, a strong believer in empowerment and, and pushing decisions to the, to the team, to the closest of the people doing work. And I, I believe this on principle and I know this in my heart. I know that, you know, I know that if we build an organization that's dependent upon me to make the decision, we will fail as an organization. And so we're doing that. But yet, as much as I believe it and as much as I know it in principle and I know it to be true, that inner demon in my head on a regular basis that, um, 
you know, like something came out the other day and I go, man, I, I wouldn't have chosen that color in my head. This is the, the demon in my head. Like if they would ask me, I would have, I wouldn't have let them do that in green. And then I have to pause myself and, and go, you know what? That's their choice. It, it's not, no one's going to die. Let it go. And I didn't, I actually didn't realize how hard that would be sometime because when you're the, when you're the one that's ultimately responsible for something yet other people are making the decisions for thing. I, on a, on an academic level, it seemed like, Oh, I can do that. And I, like I said, I believe this in my, in, in, in my core, but I think I didn't realize how much that it, it chases at my personal ego sometimes and, and pride and, and other things when, and I cause myself to kind of bite my tongue and, and, and I'll have to look at them and say, I like it. Let's launch it and see what the customers say and let's get feedback and we'll inspect and adapt. And, but in my, the inner demon in my head is doing gymnastics yeah. over, <laughs> holy crap, why did they choose this? Yeah. And it's, it's that constant, I guess I didn't expect that inside voice to be as strong in my head and it's made me question um, my own resolve sometimes, you know, like if I truly embrace this wholeheartedly, why is that demon in my head sometimes? And uh, I, I think, I don't know if that's what you're asking. But yeah. Well, I, I, so a follow-up question, is that questioning of your resolve a good thing or a bad thing? I think anytime, anytime you're introspective, and your challenge in your own self is good and it's healthy, um, right? Uh, there is a tension, like I said, when you're when you're the when you're the public face of of, an, of a movement or a brand, and you're the one that when it hits the fan, you're going to catch it. Yeah, but yet you're not the one making all of the decisions that are happening. There's risk, and it produces fear. If you're not careful, yeah. again, I, I don't want you to hear that, that this is like crippling me. It's just that little gnawing voice sometimes is a surprise for me on things that I know are insignificant. And it just, it causes me to, to pause and go, holy crap, I've, I've got to work through this and, and get to the point that that voice is less and less. I think, well, I think that's awesome. I, for me, I had a thing uh, with my daughter the other day where she did something and I kind of like snapped at her and it was totally like, it didn't matter at all. It was just like, I didn't like the, it didn't fit my model. And, yeah. and it, it, I mean, it had, I, I was apologizing to her for like two days because it was just like, this was ridiculous. And for me, that voice of, you know, whatever discomfort I'm always like, what is that? Why is that voice there? What is it trying to, that to me is the teacher. Like it's there to show me something that I'm not seeing. I'm uncomfortable about something. Why, why do I care if it's green or not green? Like what, what's the deal? Cause who cares at the end of the day? It always, it's like a pointer to me for something else. I think that was, that was really cool that you shared that. Um, thank you. What about you, Melissa? So mine can be, kind of wrapped up by one phrase from Frozen 2 that has become my mantra. And I'll, <laughs> I'll explain why, but it is just do the next right thing. And the reason that that was so impactful to me 
um, it's Anna in Frozen 2 and she's kind of in a, a you know, bad place. And, um, and for me, I sat with leaders, right? I was a, I was a executive coach for lack of a, a better phrase. I was an agile coach who really focused on um, executive leadership <coughs> and I sat with them. And I saw them make these decisions. And from my you know, kind of ivory tower version of, you know, decision-making was like, oh, this is, you know, this is easy. Just, just do it. You can do it. I'm so proud. And then suddenly you're in that spot. And especially in, in the degree of change and the things that we've been taking on, this is some radical, like we're doing things that, Nobody's done. No one's ever done before. Yeah. And I prided myself as a coach on being highly intuitive and having really good instincts. And I was very good as a coach in trusting those instincts because there was very little responsibility for me. <laughs> right. You know, like it's really easy to trust your instincts when it's someone else who actually has to take the burden of taking that risk and, and making that decision. And so when suddenly it's on me, it was a lot harder to trust my intuition. And I did a lot of, am I sure about this? And then even when I, once I had made a decision, I spent a lot of time doing some post-game analysis, which my coaches have given me a lot of grief for. And so actually when that phrase came up in that movie, like it kind of wrapped it all up for me, which is like, I don't have to know all the answers from here to kingdom come. I just have to trust my instincts on just the next right thing. And that has been a game changer for me. And poor Howard's probably heard that <laughs> phrase a million times at this point. Um, but it's been helpful because it, it helps you shake off the paralysis. And sometimes the next right thing is literally just going to the next meeting and, you know, learning what you can from that next meeting. Like, I don't have to decide the next year and a half okay. right now. So why is the post-game analysis not a good thing? It's not a good thing when it drives you into a not-so-good place. <laughs> oh, okay. You're so busy second-guessing an armchair quarterbacking yourself that it becomes almost like a shutdown. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I'm and familiar it, with that space. And it <laughs> sometimes prevents you from doing the next right thing. Like you're so busy looking back going, well, did I do the right thing? Or I, how did I not know this thing, you know, this variable and you're not actually looking at the next right thing. Like yeah. it's distracting. And my wife and I used to, when we would make a major purchase in our house, let's say we're buying a new washer dryer, right? But we're not the kind of couple that, and you know my wife, but we, we wouldn't just run to the store, pick out the two that are the pretty color and leave. Like we're doing research. We're trying to figure out from, you know, which one's the best brand and who has the best price. And then finally, after a long period of time, we make a purchase. But what we would do is we would keep shopping. So we got the two washers and we got the washer and dryer in the house and every trip to the store, you gotta we go look at look to see did somebody else have the <laughs> same model cheaper? Yeah. Or then the the next um, advertisement comes out and looks like oh well if we would have just waited and it's crazy making stuff, Dave. Yeah. I mean, none none of that is is productive behavior. None of it is helpful. It, it 
it is always good to retrospect on the things that you're doing to ensure that they're aligned, but the rest of it is just waste. And I think that's what she's talking about. And we've, we've talked about it. I've I've been guilty of that as well. So um, we do need to make a decision and understand that we made the decision based on the best information we had at that time. And also we need to make decisions that are as best we can revolving doors, not one way doors that we can always make another decision to move us slightly in a different direction. It actually makes me think of um, the retrospective prime directive. It's like applying that to yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I guess. So the, the investigation of the choices that were made and how they could have been better or how they were good, healthy, but the woulda, shoulda, coulda, unhealthy. Yep. Okay. Um, so one of the things that's really striking to me listening to both of you talk, I mean, you're heads of a very large global organization. You're both expressing a ton of vulnerability, which I'm really appreciative for. But I wanted to just call that out because if there's people who work at other companies with leaders who don't come across as being very vulnerable, who are very command and control, they're second guessing themselves all the time too, but maybe they don't have any way to talk about it. Um, but I, I, I'm just in listening to you, I'm thinking of some of the people I've worked for and how just dead sure they were of everything that came out of their mouths. And we would just sit there like, huh, what? <laughs> I, it, it's, it's, I'm very appreciative of you guys for just sharing that, that with everybody. Um, do, you, do you ever get comments on that from people that you're working with or with other leaders from companies? We do. I mean, internally from the staff, um, are they just kind of used to it by now? Well, I don't know that they're going to be used to it for a while. Um, you know, radical authenticity and, and transparency is still uh, sometimes difficult to navigate with folks. But, man, they have an appreciation because um, they know who we are. They know where we stand. They know what our values are. And they know that... Sometimes the hard decision needs to be make and made and we will tell them, you know, we may not be 100% convinced, but we believe the best decision is this and this is how we move forward. And we do a check-in to make sure everybody's okay through those things. So uh, it's a, like, I, I think every teammate sees themselves in us in a way and realizes how tough that that, you know, uh, that job can be. And, and it helps them get comfort that the people that are leading the organization are people of principles and values. Uh, I do hear in, in other companies, leaders that wish that they could be. And my big question is, I don't know what's holding you back. And usually it's, it's fears, fears of this, fears of that, fears of, I'm going to tell you, um, the worst kind of leaders are the most inauthentic, uh, the ones that are the most non-transparent, you know, genuine, authentic, heartfelt, mission-driven leadership is what uh, some of the best organizations in the world have. Um, so, yes, you produce yourself a little bit of risk to be, to be vulnerable, but the upside of that to me is, is tenfold. And there's no courage without vulnerability. 
I mean, to quote Brene. I was just going to say, it sounds like you guys have been to a training. <laughs> um, there, there isn't. And if we want to build an organization that, you know, where we're not the only ones taking risks, where we're not the only ones being innovative, you know, at the organizational level, but actually, you know, our teams are taking risks and trying new things. And that's super vulnerable. And how can we ask them to do yeah. that if we're not willing to do that ourselves. And I think that's great. That's a, I think that's a really important thing that you're not asking anything of anyone else that you're not willing to do yourselves. Um, what advice do you have for organizations? If they've been following the changes that have been going on at the Scrum Alliance and they're thinking, Hey, you know, we're, this sounds like the right thing for our company. You've got a year of learning under your belt. So what would you, What's, you know, a piece of advice you could offer them to, to not trip over something maybe that, that you got stuck on? I would say just go out and buy an off-the-shelf organizational scaling model <laughs> and apply it. Plug and play. Well, yeah, and, and Jira. You're going to need Jira to go along with it, too. Yeah. Definitely Jira. Track, track it in a school <laughs> is the thing they need to do. Now, obviously, that's a joke. Joke. <laughs> joke um, for those that take things too literally that is clearly a joke um, I'd say start with the principles and values and and make sure that the don't reorganize don't don't reteam just to reteam because it's a trendy thing to do uh, reteam because it meets your missions and values of your organization um, and look and learn from from what we're doing, from what other people are doing, from their mistakes, if they're willing to share their mistakes like we are, um, don't don't copy, don't don't copy paste, and think that it's going to work within your organization. When you look at some of the best organizational models of how people can be um, truly adaptive, truly uh, incremental and iterative in the way that they respond to customer needs, um, they're principle based. And they're value based, but the but the implementation of it, the design is is slightly different because they're in a different business. And the mistake that most people make is they they hear the story of Spotify, then they want to buy the Spotify model. Right. Well, okay. That do 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 you have the DNA as a company that started Spotify that were the principles and values that the byproduct of that was how they turned out to be organized. Um, if not, you can't do that. And it's the same way with us too. Um, I, while I would love to say every organization out there from large businesses to small need to instantly work the way we're working, I, I think it's a ridiculous request. But I think that they can take some notes from, from how the, that we're doing this on on, on the what and the why and the, yeah. the, the underguiding values that we're trying to live, those, those, those values and how we're trying to live that through the way we work. Okay. Yes, and just do the next right thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> if she starts singing, you That should be on a T-shirt, hey, I think. I'm a good singer. Um, but really... I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, it's like the rock stars who everyone says like it's an overnight sensation. And, and that guy's like, yeah, I've been playing in bars for 20 years. I was not an overnight sensation. Um, 
it's a little bit that way for us too, because there are a lot of things that had to happen before Howard and I ever got here. Yeah. So things that were positive, things that were opportunities, um, for us to kind of build on that, even though some of the change that we made was almost instant and almost overnight, um, there were a lot of next right things that came before us. Yeah. And we're still doing next right things every day. And so just, you know, don't be fooled by one day there was this blog and suddenly, you know, Scrum Alliance. It all just happened. You know, woo! Yeah. It, you know, it's never that simple. Um, and it's been a year of doing the next right thing. So, you know, I, I say that as encouragement, that it's not as daunting as it looks and you can never really plan for it. So all you can do is just do the next experiment. Yeah. I heard somebody describe it the other day as, you know, 10, 15 years later, you're an overnight success. <laughs> it there just takes that 10 to 15 years and then it's going to happen all at once. Um, yeah, I mean, is- we're, we're, we're where we are today because of our, our experiences in the past. I mean, Melissa's work at different companies throughout the years of either advising leaders on organizational design or being internal and in helping to reshape organizational design. And then mine from working at companies and helping advise companies, but like internally for the last consultancies where we, we're organized in life cycles and we're organized in different ways and uh, being able to be in the, in the world of, of experimenting with different organizational designs help, you know, both of us uh, have some influence into what we're doing here. Um, so it wasn't something that came out of a book. Yeah. It came out of experience, but based on, based on the right reasons for us to do this. Cool. Well, thank you both for doing this. I want to make sure we save some time for um, talking just in case there's anything you have going on in the near future that you'd like to maybe let people know about. Any kind of upcoming small events you want to talk about? <laughs> Any, wow, wow, what a <laughs> what a lead in there. Jay. I'm just teeing it up for you, man. <laughs> teeing, that, that wasn't teeing it up. Why don't you just go ahead and hit it for me? All right, I would like to know all about the Scrum Gathering, which is happening in New York City on May 11th through 13th. What kind of amazing, groundbreaking things are going to take place in New York? So, thank you for that, for that lob. <laughs> you know, I think one thing I want your listeners to understand is that Scrum Gatherings are not just about Scrum. Um, if you look at the curriculum, if you look at the, the speakers and presenters, there's likely very little in there that's about Scrum. There, there's a wide and varied topic that meet anybody that uh, is almost anywhere on their Agile journey. Uh, this particular one was the very first one that we've done that was completely trackless. So the North American Gathering team that put it on decided, let's not ask people to submit to fit a predefined track. Let's ask them to submit something that they're finding interesting in the world and let's see what emerges. So uh, I was really pleased with that experiment. And I think we had 10 or 12 submissions for every one that got uh, selected. Yes. So it's all our, our content is all community driven and community sourced community vetted uh, in that Uh, we will be right on Times square, uh, which is, uh, a pretty cool place to be. If you've not been in downtown Manhattan, we will be at the Marriott Marquis 
uh, in downtown Manhattan. I think it is May. Uh, what is it? 11 through 13th. 11 through 13th. You're getting to it faster than I am. Um, opening I have keynote. the page up on the screen. You have the page up on the screen because you're faster than I am. <laughs> um, events for us, gatherings for us are not money-making events. Our, our goal isn't to make revenue on these things. As a nonprofit, our goal is to make impact. And so we get to prioritize doing things at events that we believe creates impact, a, a, a spark in thinking, reshaping the way people are thinking to where when they leave, they're better than they were when they arrived, rather than uh, coordinating an event with a you know with hundreds of sponsors, and um, at, you know maybe uh, whoever we could find that would speak for the for the cheapest price. So we will only have about nine uh, booth sponsors because we want to limit that amount of of impact. But our keynotes for the event are two people that you may have heard of, uh, Seth Godin who has 19 books on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, Seth is a prolific author, and he happens to be a Manhattan resident. So it's pretty cool. We're very fortunate to get to have him. He doesn't do many speaking engagements. And uh, through the magic of saying please and asking, he is going to come open up for us. And I'm very, very excited about um, seeing him present. The closing keynote uh, is going to be Randy Zuckerberg. Right. So uh, Randy is uh, Mark Zuckerberg's sister and part of the creator of Facebook and Facebook Live. She was there from the beginning, but that's kind of the beginning of her story. But actually, the, the remainder of her story in, in, in running women owned business and her angel in, investing and other things that she's doing are really dynamic and, and really an interesting, interesting story about how she looks at the world of business and the world of work. So she's going to come there as well. Both of them happen to be in New York natives. So we're going to be in New York and we've got two people from New York that are going to come speak to us. That's awesome. This will be very cool. Um, all right. And so people can go to scrumalliance.org if they want to learn more about this. And what if they want to check out Unscripted? Which you're doing every day now, right, Melissa? <laughs> Inside joke there. Never going to live this down. <laughs> I just um, watched that video this morning. It's the only reason I'm picking on it. <laughs> so, yes, if you're interested in what is going on with us here at Scrum Alliance, we have been as frequently as possible <laughs> uh, documenting our story at uh, scrumalliance.org slash unscripted. And it is our kind of un polished, unscripted way of, of sharing what's going on with us. It's a mixture of blogs and Facebook live videos, um, podcasts. podcasts, you know, anytime we're in a podcast where we're talking about things like this, um, they're all kind of aggregated there. Um, so and they're all in chronological order. So if you start at the very beginning or at the very bottom of the stack, you can hear our first conversations together. And Dave is observing um, how that he's hearing our voices differently now than in the beginning. So if you're curious whether Dave is right or not, you can I'm start right. with the oldest ones and <laughs> listen to the most current ones and see if you too hear a difference in our voices. Well, I, it's cool that you guys are so open with everything too. I think that's one of the best things about Unscripted is you share a lot, expose a lot that a lot of leaders would be afraid to kind of let people see. 
which I think is a really spectacular thing. And I, and as a member of the Scrum Alliance, I would like to thank you both for that. Um, and I'm going to include contact information from both of you. Is that all right as well? Sure. That's all right. Home numbers, things like that, home addresses. Mm -hmm. Definitely. <laughs> no, I'll just include your Twitter and email. But thank you both very much for taking this time, and I can't wait to see you guys in New York. You got it, Dave. See you soon. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye.